You're listening to audio from Community Bible Church in Savannah, Georgia. For more information, go to cbcsavannah.com. That we would just know you better. We don't want to just know the Bible. We want to know you. That's why we're here. And so through your word, which you've given us, draw us close to you. Make us more like your son. I pray that, that the spirit that inspired the word would just... Uh, just open our hearts and our minds to the word and that we would be different and that we would be changed and that we would be joyful and that the, the fruit of the spirit would just be abounding in our lives, that there would be just peace and joy and love and kindness and gentleness and self-control, faithfulness, these things that you desire for your church. I pray that you would equip us and I just pray for help because certainly I am not one by myself that can do anything, let alone teach your church, let alone stand before you uh, with your holy word and, and do something so grand and so great. And so I just ask for help uh, that I need to hear these things as much as anyone and you would just use this time to glorify Jesus, our Savior, uh, the one who there is no other name under heaven by which men are saved. It's in his precious name we pray. Amen. Thanks. You guys can have a seat. All right, it's good to be back with you. I was in Hotlanta last week watching a state championship team. I'm wearing my red for Georgia, even though I wasn't necessarily, I was neutral yesterday, but I'm honoring you Georgia fans. There you go, okay? So red and black, there you go, all right? Just so if you don't, tell them to say I never did nothing for you, okay? Um, when I was at the Citadel, one of the most look forward to meals of the year was Thanksgiving meal. I guess mealtime for freshmen was awful. We, we called them knobs, and they never didn't get to eat, and they kind of had to do this thing called bracing, and I won't explain all these things to you, but mess was not fun for the freshmen, all right? But at Thanksgiving, everything was different because the day before you would leave for Thanksgiving break, the first time you get to go home and first time you get to go to all the things, you would have this big Thanksgiving meal, and it was relaxed, and all the freshmen could just eat as much as they wanted, and what they would do is they would make headdresses, uh, for all the upperclassmen, Pilgrim and Indian, a very, very politically incorrect, but that's the way it was back in the 90s, all right? So, and they would bring cigars, and so you, I mean, uh, again, so far, but cigar smoke, Pilgrim hats, turkey, you know, these cadets eating turkey. It, it was a great celebration. Everyone was so excited because they get to go home tomorrow and get out of that place, right? What, but in the fall of 1993, my sophomore year, everything changed. It all started great. Everyone's eating turkey. Everyone's excited. We're going home tomorrow. And we, legend is kind of blurry. We don't know how it started. Some say it was one piece of bread. But somehow, from the middle of this mess hall, and this is about 100 yards long, you know, 15, 1,800 cadets sitting in it, it was like a wave, like a hurricane, where food just started flying. I mean, and by the end, what started is one piece of bread. People were throwing entire turkeys. <laughs> Plates were frisbees. People were picking up pieces of fruit and throwing it. It was nuts. I was under a table with an ice bucket on my head like World War II or something in a, in a, in a trench. And I ran out of there. It was chaos. And what started with this happy, we're supposed to be thankful and we're going home tomorrow turned into like 11 cadets going to the hospital. 
um, like over 300 ceiling tiles just needing to be replaced, about that much sludge in this huge cafe. It was a mess, right? It was a mess. Even made national news. We were on national news again. Never for good reasons were we at the Citadel of National News. Anytime you saw us, it was bad, right? We're going to look today at a text where Jesus is going to invite us to this great meal that's supposed to bring us together, that's supposed to symbolize unity, that's supposed to be a meal of thanksgiving. And what we see often in the church is it's not that. It's actually chaos. It's actually a bunch of cadets with turkey all over themselves, because we got fighting, and when people on the outside look in the church, what do they think? They think hypocrite, they think they can't get along, they think they can't like each other, how are they going to like anything else? And that's true. And so we're going to look at this meal that's meant to bring us together and, and talk about it and, and see how can this happen. And what, what is the point of why Jesus institutes this meal that we call the Lord's Table or the Lord's Supper, right? So for some of you in a higher church, Eucharist, right, which just means thankful, uh, but we're going to talk about the Lord's table and Jesus instituting it today as we look at Luke 22. So if you have a Bible, turn to Luke 22. And this is one of those unique opportunities for us as a church. We get to talk about something and then we get to actually do it right away. Right, we're supposed to do that anyway, but like we actually literally before you leave, we're like, all right, this is the sermon, now do it. Right? So it's going to be kind of unique for us in that. Uh, it's been a while since we were able to teach on this, so we're going to teach on it today. Um, and where we're at in this book, we're kind of wrapping it up. We'll be done around Thanksgiving. Um, we are on Thursday before Good Friday. I mean, it's literally 24 hours, less than 24 hours before Jesus is going to the cross. All right? So we are in the last moments of his ministry before he goes uh, to Calvary. That's, that's where we pick up in chapter 22. All right? Let's look at it. Oh. Now the Feast of Unleavened Bread drew near, which is called the Passover. And the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to put him to death, for they feared the people. The Feast of Unleavened Breads and Passover is this feast that they had been celebrating for 1,500 years. All right? Ever since God called Charlton Heston out of the wilderness and sent him to back to Egypt, right, to, to set the people free, what happens? Ten plagues come on the, uh, the nation of Egypt. The last one being this great death angel. And the only way that the people of Israel could escape this plague was that they would kill a lamb, they would put the blood of the lamb on the door, and they would be inside, covered by that blood, and when that death angel would come over, it would pass over. And so it did, it passed over, and all the firstborn in Egypt were killed, and, eat, and Israel escaped, and the next day they, they are delivered from slavery. And they had been celebrating the, this, these feasts for 1,500 years. And it's supposed to picture freedom and all these things. And so everyone's in Jerusalem celebrating it. And the scribes, who are supposed to be in charge of this whole deal, are supposed to be celebrating with people. But all they can think about is how to put Jesus to death. That's what they want to do. Right? They can only think about that. Verse 3. And Satan entered into Judas Iscariot. Whether he uh, personally indwelt him or what he influenced him, we don't know. It really doesn't matter. What we know is now the, the enemy of God has an inside man. And so he's one of the 12. He went away and conferred with the chief priests and the officers how he might betray him to them. And they were glad and agreed to give him money. So he consented and sought an opportunity to betray him. Think about all the things that Judas got to see in three years. I mean, he was, in, he was on the inner deal. He was one of the most trusted of the 12. He was the money guy. 
So he is super trusted, all the miracles, all the teaching, all the prayer, all the everything hanging with Jesus. And now he's, he's for some reason disenfranchised. He doesn't like what Jesus is doing. So he, he wants to betray him. So he goes, he initiates, he goes to the chief priest. They gladly say, yes, we will give you what you want. They give him 30 pieces of silver, which is like 500 bucks. It's nothing. Which is prophesied, by the way, that Jesus would be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver in the Old Testament. But what you see in Judas is a guy who was close to Jesus but didn't really, wasn't really a follower. That's a huge, that's another lesson for another day. You can be real close to all the activity of Jesus and not be a follower. That's, that, that's, that's one just kind of side lesson. But that's what's going on. So now he's looking for an opportunity to betray. He knows where he's going to be at all times. They have an inside guy, right? And we'll see more about that next week. The day of unleavened bread came on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. And so Jesus sent Peter and John, these are the two on the inner circle, to go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat it. Very elaborate feast. There's several different pieces to it. It's not just like, hey, go get the matzah and the cup. We'll talk about that. There's all sorts of things. So he goes, go, go and prepare. There seems to be this shroud of secrecy. Why? Because now that Judas is on the inside for these guys, there has to be. Right, so only two guys are going to get to know, and it's kind of secret agent. So he says, Peter, James, you guys, I'm Peter, John, you guys go and prepare. And they say, where? He says, behold, when you have entered the city, you're going to come in the city, and there's going to be a man carrying a jar of water. Well, he'll meet you. This is unique because usually the women in that day would carry the jars of water. Men would co- carry the skins. Women would carry the jars. So it would immediately as they came in the city, they would see something that they're not used to seeing. Right? And so they follow, he said, follow him to the house and tell him that the master of the house, that the teacher says to you, where is the guest room where I meet the Passover? And he will show you a large upper room. And it happens just like that. They go into the city. There's a guy. He's carrying water. They kind of follow him. He's probably freaked out. He's like, why are these guys following me? And then he comes into their house and he's really freaked out. But he's like, hey, the teacher needs your upper room. And so he gives it to them. And they found it just as they had told them, and they prepared the Passover. So they go get the lamb and the bitter herbs and all these cups and all these things, and they're getting ready this feast of, of Passover and unleavened bread that they've been celebrating for years, which Jesus had already done multiple times. All right? So that's where we're at. And so they recline at the table with the apostles, and they're celebrating. Now, when we think about the Lord's Supper, we think about this sometimes, right? Oh, Leo, Peyton, this is, this is not what it looked like probably. Okay, now this is very like Baptist 1963 table, right? You know, everyone's got the potluck. Hey, where's the mac and cheese? It's down there. Get the mac and cheese from here. Where's the fried chicken? Uh, Very great painter, bad kind of cultural, you know, picture. First of all, the room would not have been that big. It would not, it's not some elaborate deal. It would have been a little small, little upper room, just enough for these guys. It probably looks more like this. We showed you this picture before. They're, They're reclining. They're laying down on their side. Right? It would have been a round table where the host, the most important person, would have been at the top. That's Jesus. But there's, and there's a lot of things that take place at this meal. We're not going to get to see him because Luke is very simple. But things like Judas getting handed this, this morsel because he's the one that's going to betray. And Jesus at some point washes their feet. And, and there's multiple teachings and prayers. You can read John 13 through 17. And all that's taking place in this context. Luke is very simple. He's right to the point. He just kind of gets right at it. All right? He says... Uh, Jesus what tells what Jesus said. I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover. Notice the language, y'all. I have been looking forward to this. Even though he's going to suffer, which they don't even get yet. They have no clue. They kind of miss that whole deal and they won't get it till after. But notice his language. I have, I, I've been looking forward to this time with you guys. Right? 
that's, that's a little bit different than what we think about when we talk about the table sometimes. The table for us becomes this like kind of dirge. Oh, you know, very kind of negative. In Jesus' mind, he's like, I have been looking forward to this. Even though in six hours he's going to be getting beaten. I think that's significant for us. So he says, and he says, I tell you, I will not eat it again till it's fulfilled in the kingdom. This is the last time. Right? For the, for the Israelites, the fulfillment of Passover was when they get to rest in the promised land. They go from slavery to freedom. For Jesus, what he's saying is, that it's not going to be ultimately fulfilled till when? Till the kingdom. We're not going to have that rest until the kingdom is here. He says, I'm going to hold off from now on until it's fulfilled, until everything's done that I said I was going to do. And so he takes a cup. And this is not, by the way, this is where some of the liberals attack the Bible. See, the Bible, the Bible has contradictions. There's two cups in here and there's only one in Matthew. There's four cups in the Passover Seder. There's four. This is probably the second cup that he's taking right here. So he takes this cup, and this is just part of the ceremony, and he gives him thanks, and he said, take this, divide it among yourselves. I'm not going to drink it. I'm not going to drink the fruit of the vine. No more welches for me until the kingdom. This is not yet part of the, the Lord's table, as we would call it. This is just part of that ceremony, right? That this, is, this is nothing. The Bible has no contradictions. The Bible is not uh, teaching two different things. It's just he's giving a little bit more detail here. Here's where things start to get new, right? Verse 19. He took bread, and when he given thanks, which this is part of the Passover too, there's, a, there's bread that you take. It would have been unleavened bread, much like the matzo we're going to see in a little bit. It would have had, it looks bruised. It's, it has holes in it to be pierced. It has no leaven, which pictures sin. And so he takes this and he breaks it. And this is what's new. Okay, this is not, this is not Passover. This is not what happened then. He says, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. That is new. And then he takes the cup. And he says, this, is, this, this cup is poured out, for you, poured out for you. It's a new covenant in my blood. That is not Passover. That is new. Okay? It's probably what they call the cup of blessing, the third cup that he's doing here, uh, that he's taking. But he said, this, this is my blood. That would have been a little freaky for the disciples. They don't, they have, they, remember, they don't have Calvary, empty tomb yet. So, so they, they're not thinking, your blood, what, I mean, they have John when he says, you got to eat, eat my body and, and that, but they didn't even like that. So this is all brand new, and they don't even understand really, but then again, do this in remembrance of me, right? Do this in remembrance of me, right? No mention of those things at the original Passover. And that's the end of, really, this institution of, for Luke. So let's ask some questions, because this is where turkeys start flying in the church, and stuffing and, and apples and, and all sorts of things start going wrong. What does it mean? And, I, and look, and this room is great because not all of you are one tradition. We got some from the Roman tradition. We got some from Lutheran. We got Presbyterians. We got Episcopalians. We got a bunch of y'all Methodists out there. We got some Baptists. And we just have some flat out pagans that never went anywhere, which is my favorite because I don't have any background issues. All right, they're blank slate. So that's the best kind. I just went to Georgia Southern. That's all I know. Perfect. <laughs> That's what I like. It's my favorite. So what does Jesus mean, this is my body? You got four main views in the church as a whole that have taken place over history, right? And I'm going to give you some fancy words. You don't need to remember them. But for those of you who are nerdy and like fancy words, this is for you, all right? 
Uh, but the idea I want you to grasp, because I want you to see why we are where we are. The first one is this. this is, the first view is called transubstantiation. This is, called, this is what the Roman Catholic Church, originally just called the Roman Church, but now it's the Roman Catholic Church. Uh, so this is their position. And, and what it means is this, it's, and it's a fancy idea, but here's the idea. That the elements in, when you take these elements, that they literally become, I mean literally, the actual body and the actual blood of Jesus. They just don't taste like it. But they are literally it. This is the teaching of the Roman church. And so what they believe is that a guy with a funny hat, a cool collar, some smoke in his hands, whatever, whoever the fancy guy is at the front, he will say a prayer. And in that prayer, the normal juice and and bread will actually literally, it'll be a miracle and it will actually turn into the body and blood. And when you receive it, it actually gives you grace and it actually forgives your sin. Right? And not just your sin. If you want someone who's in purgatory, if you want their sins forgiven, actually it can help with that too. Okay? That is the, and you, you, you can read in Catholic dogma and, and, and that is what they believe. Okay? That is transubstantiation. Um, and, and I have a couple big issues with that. Number one is that, and, and another thing is this, that every time they do it, it's Jesus being crucified again. This is significant. This is why when you go into a Roman church, there is a cross with a, it's a crucifix with Jesus on the cross, right? Where you go into a non-Roman church, the cross is empty. Why? In the Roman church, every time you celebrate the mass, the body is broken again. Every time. Every Sunday or Saturday night or whatever you do. Every time Jesus is being sacrificed. Well, we would say, there's an entire book of the Bible written about this. It's called Hebrews. Jesus died once, period. And then he rose again and sat down. And there is no need for him to be crucified every week for the forgiveness of sins. One time was enough. That's the first big thing I have against that position. The second thing is this. It assumes that I am better than everybody because I went to school. I promise. Come live with me for 24 hours. You will see that I'm not. It has this this distinction between the the congregation and the clergy. We get best, best parking spots at the hospital and, you know, tax breaks, right? There, according to the New Testament, there is no distinction between me and you. Whether you're male, female, Gentile, Jew, Greek, we are all in Christ. Now, is my office a little bit different? Is my position? Yes, but not my value. I have no magic prayer book. I have no more, like this is why we encourage your community groups and stuff to go to the hospital and pray. Because there's no magic prayer that one of the pastors prays that all of a sudden this one counts. But that knucklehead in your community group, his prayer doesn't count. No, you are a priest. If you are a follower of Jesus, you're a priest. Say, I am a priest. Or a priestess. Priestess. I don't know what the female of priest is, but priestess. That is what the New Testament teaches. So this idea where we're separate and that my job is holy, but you, you know, you work for, for SCAD, so your job's not as holy. Nonsense. Nonsense. This is what the Protestant Reformation was all about. Or one of the things. Right? And the third, third reason I don't think this position is accurate is because just the basic rules of how Jesus taught. He used things called figures of speech. Right? I mean, he, how, he said, I am the door. If you lift his toga, are there hinges under the, oh yeah, what kind of you to get you at Lowe's? I am the vine, you are the branches. Everyone, let me see your leaves. Where's your leaves? Are they falling? It's fall, not in Savannah, we don't have fall. It's, it's a metaphor. 
It's just how Jesus constantly goes. I am the good shepherd. Beware of wolves. You are sheep. You, you didn't come in, you know, whatever. Because it's a metaphor. This is how Jesus spoke. This is how he taught constantly. And this is why he said, do this in remembrance of me. It would be actually be against the Old Testament law. If this was literal body and blood of somebody, it would be against the Old Testament Levitical law to actually eat it. Because you can't eat blood. So, so there's all sorts of reasons why this position is, I think, uh, inaccurate. So that's the first one. Second one, there's a guy named, a little, a little German guy named Marty. He was running around 500 years ago, and he saw that the church was not doing some things that, that the Bible was saying. And so he came up with a different view after he put a big, you know, 95 nails in this big old wooden door. Um, and, and he started protesting the church and trying to reform it. So we have the Protestant Reformation. But he came up with a view called consubstantiation. Now remember, old Marty was a, was a Roman monk. So he came up, he grew up in that church, so he had all this Roman background. So he tries to reform, but he kind of stays pretty close to the Roman church on his view of, of the Lord's table. So what he believed is it doesn't physically actually become the body and blood of Jesus, but it kind of spiritually does. So it's the spiritual body and the spiritual blood, which I don't understand it, but that's what he believed. He, he uses language like it was with and under um, and, and, and in the body. So there's all these theological terms. But he didn't want to move too far away from his roots. But he, didn't, he, he saw that there was an inaccurate view. So he would say, Jesus is present in these elements. But not, not physically. He's spiritually present. Right? Consubstantiation. And so today, modern day Luther, uh, Lutherans, uh, some Anglicans will hold to this view. There's another guy named Calvin and some of his buddies, the Reformers, and they came up with the Reform view that said, no, we don't like the Catholic view and we don't like the, the, the Lutheran view, but we do like the idea that Jesus is present, but not actually in the, the, the juice and the, uh, the bread, but he's just present, kind of here in a special way during the Lord's table. That's kind of the Reform view. A lot of Presbyterians, again, some Anglicans and some people, and I would agree that Jesus is present because he says, I'll be with you always, even to the end of the age, so... He's always present. He's never not present. This is the reform view, probably closer to where uh, most of us maybe grew up or some of us are right now. And then you have this, this, this guy named Holdrick Zwingli. His parents really hated him. All right. Can you imagine being in high school? Uh, is Holdrick Zwingli here? Holdrick? Holdrick? Just call me H, you know, whatever. But he came up with what's called the memorial view, where Jesus is is not physically or spiritually present in the elements. He's always here, but that when we celebrate the table, it is, a, it is strictly a memorial. We are doing this in remembrance of Jesus. It's not that it's not spiritual. It's not that it's not a, a, a nourishing spiritual uh, time, but that there's nothing physical or spiritual going on in the Welches and the matzah that we got at the food lion, Right? It's just we are remembering something that took place. This is the position that we would hold at CBC. If you're some of these other positions, it doesn't mean you've got to get kicked out of the church. And, and we're not trying to throw turkeys and try to throw salad and stuff. But this is what we think is the best example of what is going on in the Scripture. That Jesus is saying, take this and remember me. This is what I've done. Right? Remember me. Right? It's a memorial. Um, and, and so we're going to do that. We're going to remember him. But let me give you some observations. Uh, as I kind of, you know, this is a familiar text for many of us. Super familiar. 
You've, you've heard it, you've read it, you've seen Da Vinci, you know, all these things. But let me just give you some observations to kind of help us as a church. Because I want it to be, I want, Thanksgiving is a fun time, isn't it? For most of us, it's like, yeah, we got good football, we got good family, we got good turkey, we got good, and, and, and there's something meaningful about it. When we come to the table as a church, I don't want it to just be, it's not some tack on. Well, we haven't done it in like five weeks, Ethan. What are we going to do? Well, I'll just throw it at the end. We don't want it to be that. We want it to be meaningful like, like Jesus wanted it to be for us. So let me give you some observations. First one is this. It's a celebration, y'all. It is not a dirge. It is not a funeral. If Jesus was dead, it's a funeral. He's alive. We sung about it earlier. That's why you're here on a Sunday, the day he resurrected, because he's alive. It is a celebration. And here's what's really cool. Study the Lord's Supper in the New Testament. It's always in the context of a meal, of a potluck. You think the Baptists invented the potluck. They did not. The early church, what they would do every week and nightly during the week is they would gather in people's homes and they would bring food like we, do, we used to back in the old fellowship hall and everyone would chow down. And at the culmination of this meal, they would celebrate this meal. Every time the Lord's Supper is mentioned, it's always in the context of this feast. Even Jesus instituting at a feast, it is a celebration. And, and I want you to see that because we honestly come... Lord's Supper, got to be worthy. And we come with this kind of like, got to crawl into the sanctuary. You, how many celebrations you know where you have to kind of like walk around? I'm, I'm getting ready for dinner. It's not, that's not how it's supposed to be. Jesus saying, I earnestly desire. I'm looking forward to celebrating. Guess what? One day again in the kingdom, we're going to do it again. You're going to come into heaven. Oh, it's the Lord's Supper Sunday in heaven. Is that how it's going to be? Right? We are celebrating the good news. It should be a celebration. That's the first observation. Second observation is it is a simple, simple deal, y'all. I love simple. And what I mean by this is Jesus takes this elaborate meal. And it is in a, if you've ever seen a Passover Seder, it is elaborate. There is this blessing. There's four cups of this. There's washing here. You got to dip the vegetables in the salt. You got to break the one piece of bread. You got to ask the questions. Why do we do it like this? Then the kids have to answer. We do it like this because of. Then you have another washing. Then you have another recitation. Then you have another blessing. Then you have a sandwich, a matzah sandwich. And then you have the main course. Then you have the after bread dessert, which is just another piece of matzah that they break. And then you have another glass of wine, another blessing. And then you sing a song and you have another glass of wine. And then you go home. And Jesus takes all that, which takes hours, and he goes, bread, cup. Simple. This is my body that is broken, that is going to be bruised, that is going to be pierced for you. Got it? This is my blood. It is going to be poured out for the forgiveness of your sins. Because without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Got it? Simple. The whole Passover deal was supposed to point to one thing anyway, wasn't it? The Lamb of God who took away the sin of the world. All that was like, boom. So he just kind of... And, and the reason I mention it is because we, we have a propensity as humans. We love rules. We love it. We want more rules. Give me more guidelines and rules, right? And Jesus gives us like a simple deal that drives some of you nuts. Because simple drives some of you nuts. You want complexity. And, and it's the, 
What I love about the Lord's Supper, when you study the Scripture, is the lack of information and instruction that the Bible gives. For instance, how often? How often should we do it? You're like, I'm a, I'm a Southern Baptist. We did it once every election year. All right? I'm a, I'm a, you know, I'm a Breslin. We did it every week. How often does this Bible say? The Bible doesn't say. Isn't that great? How, should we have one table? Should we have one cup of wine where the guy wipes it and you fake it because you don't want to get germs? I mean, what should we do? <laughs> you guys know what I'm talking about. You all, you're like, yeah, <laughs> thinking that. Right? So how do, how do we do it? Do we pass it? Do we do it all at once? What do we do? What does the Bible say? The Bible doesn't say. Here's a tough one. Um, who can administer the elements? Right? This is, this is one that will get some turkeys flying, let me tell you. I'm telling you right now. I, I've said some things to some of my brothers that I disagree with. And they're like, oh, no. I'm like, yeah, tell me where that is in the Bible. Because the Bible, who's, who's it say the Bible in, in the Scripture, who can hand out the elements? The Bible does not say. If it was that important, don't you think it would be like, make sure the pastor's the one handing out the matzo, y'all. Love Paul. <laughs> I mean... I mean, really. If it was originally celebrated at a house where everyone's eaten together and at one point in the service everyone, then I doubt it was like, hey, we got to find the pastor. Where's the pastor? And, and look, church traditions are fine. I'm not anti-church traditions. Churches like that and that, that, that gives them a flavor. And there's nothing wrong with it unless you start throwing turkeys over it, over where scripture is silent. Because scripture is silent. And some people even, I'll get in trouble for saying this, but I, we, me and David were talking about this week. In the original church, it seems that these guys were meeting in community groups, for lack of a better term, and they were celebrating the table. Some churches will be like, oh, you can't celebrate communion in your community group. I'm like, why? They seem to be doing it in the, in the in book of Acts. When it says they were devoted to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, the breaking of bread, that's the Lord's table, and the prayers. I have more scriptural evidence than you do. If you're, if you're like, oh, you got to do it inside this building, this building is magic. Because we got magic preacher guy who's wearing his Georgia colors. <laughs> My point is this. When the scripture is silent, then we should not be throwing turkeys. Right? When the scripture is clear, we should be clear. And so the, it, it, I can tell you this. However we do it, it doesn't, it's not the same as they did 2,000 years ago. Because I promise you, they didn't have little plastic cups. Everyone Ready? I mean, pass the, the bronze thing here. Everyone get the bronze thing out. It's okay. This is not wrong. But the point is, don't think that you're doing it the way they originally did it because you got your little plastic cups that you put on the floor that someone steps on later. What, what we are remembering is the common thing. But it is a simple deal, and it is supposed to be simple and remind you of a simple gospel. Christ on a cross for you. There is specific explanation, however, on who this is for. Who is the table for? That is clear in Scripture. It is for those who confess Jesus as Lord. That's who it's for. And the reason it's for those is because it doesn't mean anything to the person who doesn't. It's just juice and a cracker. It's like, I'm not going to invite you to sing the Fly Eagles Fly song after we score a touchdown. All right? Because that's my song. Unless you're from Philly and you're an Eagles fan, then that's your song. I'm not going to invite a Cowboy fan to sing that song. He can sing if he wants to, and I'm, I'm hoping he will come to my side, but that's not his song. I'm not going to invite a Russian 
to celebrate Independence Day, July 4th. It means nothing to him. Or, or somebody from England, they probably don't like Independence Day. <laughs> we could have been, we could have had that land. Right? It's, it's a, July 4th means nothing to anyone apart from if you were an American. Right? And, and the idea is the table is meant for the person who has put their faith in Christ. That's all. It doesn't mean that there's going to be lightning striking if they take it and they're not. That's not the point. The, the, the point is this is a symbol, just like baptism, for those who have identified as Christian. And what we do as a church is we celebrate what's called an open table. What that means is if you are a follower of Christ, even if you're a member of this church, that church, you're in town, we invite you to partake. Some churches don't. They what's called a closed table. You have to be a member. That's fine. I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I'm just saying what we do is if you are a follower of Jesus and you're at our church and we celebrate table, we, we invite you to partake. Okay, that's what we mean when we say open table. If you're not a follower of Jesus, we would say, hey, just abstain. Right? Because it's, it's, just, it's just a cracker and juice at, at this point. And, and some of you are thinking, yeah, but isn't there some kind of like warning about something, something, somewhere? I know Paul said something. He did say something. He said something to the Corinthians. He says, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself and so eat the bread and drink the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment. See, I knew it was bad somehow. Bad. Right, warning, bad. Non-Christian, don't take. You'll get struck by lightning. That warning has nothing to do with non-Christians. Let's just clarify that right now. That warning is for Christians who are taking the table in an unworthy manner. What does that mean, an unworthy manner? Let me explain what's going on. An unworthy manner is not, I know you've heard this, oh man, I might have sinned like back in sixth grade with Mrs. McGillicuddy as my PE teacher and I think I yelled at her. I need to, oh man. And you have to find every sin you've ever done and make sure you've cleansed yourself of it. That's not what an unworthy manner is, okay? There's two things going on here. Unworthy manner for this church. What's going on is they're coming to their their feast. They called it the love feast. The agape feast is what it was called in the early church. For the time where they would gather as a church, they would have a big meal, and they would celebrate the table at the end of it. They were coming to this meal, and the wealthier folks in the congregation were bringing all the food. They got the big old, you know, 40-piece bucket from KFC, and they're coming in the room, and they throw it down. And the poorer people in the church had nothing. They couldn't bring anything because they were poor, right? And so the richer folks are getting there with their food, and then they're eating the food before the poor people can get any food. So they're bringing the big old 40 piece, and they're taking 17 pieces and all their kids, and the poor people show up, and there's nothing for the poor people. And all the rich people are celebrating and eating their food and getting drunk. And then they come to that portion of the, of the meal where they're supposed to celebrate that which is unifying and, rec- and pictures the reconciliation of God. And they're all holding the cup and saying, yeah, praise Jesus for making us one. But yet at the same time, they have been being divisive and selfish and jerks. And Paul says, it's better for you to stay home, knuckleheads. This is, you, are, you are celebrating unity while you're letting this brother be embarrassed because he ain't got no food to bring. And he hammers them. That's what's going on. That's what unworthy manner is for these folks. They're, they're acting like they're this great Christian and they've been selfish. Here's the equivalent for us. Maybe it's not, you know, uh, the potluck, but here's what it is. Maybe you are the one who comes up and says, um, excuse me, that's my seat you're sitting in. 
Now let's celebrate the table after I just kicked you out of my seat in the church. We've ever had that happen? Or maybe in the parking lot, you see a sweet old grandmother trying to park in the close spot, and you're like, boom, you know, right in between. Sorry, Granny, fine. <laughs> you're parallel parking up the street, and you're being selfish, and you're putting yourself above others. And then we're going to come to the table and celebrate how Jesus lays down his life for other people. That's the, that might be the equivalent. Or maybe you got in a fight this morning with your spouse on the way to church. Some of you? Yeah. And you haven't talked to her since. You're singing How Great Thou Art, and you're thinking, How Great Thou Art. Okay. I mean, and there's this conflict and strife with you or somebody in your community group. And so, so what the Apostle Paul would say is, hey, before you come and celebrate the table, you need, you need to give, honey, I, I love you, I'm sorry. I was wrong. Or maybe you need to abstain until that is right. That's what he's saying. It's the same thing Jesus says. Hey, if you remember your brother has something, you're at the altar, you're about to give your offering, and you remember your brother has something against you, you go home, you go deal with that, and then you come back and do your offering. Because you can't celebrate that which pictures oneness and unity and, 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 and unselfishness when you're being that. You can't come to this table knowing you and your girlfriend are shacking up and you know it's wrong, but you're going to come to the table, but then you're going to go home and you're going to just continue in that. That's an unworthy manner. When you are celebrating the forgiveness of sin with the intent of going on and sinning as soon as you're done. That's an unworthy manner. So that's what we're talking about. We're not talking about, oh man, Mrs. McGillicuddy's still mad at me from fourth grade. She's dead now. I can't do nothing about it. No, it's not trying to soul search for 60 years in the past. It's just, hey, I'm coming repentant to the table and thankful that Jesus forgave me. All right. So scripture is clear on some things, even though it's not, of who it is for. Here's the next, next thing, observation. It is a reminder. It is a reminder, right? It's simple. It's for believers. It's a celebration. And it is a reminder. Do this in remembrance of me, right? What are we remembering? I think there's several things. Let me just give you a few. You can write them down and, and you know, take them, uh, maybe some for today, maybe next time. First, first thing I think we're remembering, or not, not in any specific order, is it's not me, it's us. This is a celebration for the church, not for just one dude, you don't see Paul in a Starbucks in Athens celebrating the Lord's Supper while he's doing his quiet time. Yeah, but you know, it's not, that's not how it's meant to be. It is supposed to be a picture of us, of family. And family is hard. I get it. But that's the point. That there's things greater than us, that, that your background, your culture, your positions, your preferences, your hurt feelings are not as significant as what brings us together. The things that divide us are not even close as, as that which we have in common in Christ if you are a follower of Jesus. He has made us one. And this is an opportunity to celebrate that and put aside all the junk. And look, I know that's hard. Because we hurt each other and we say things and we don't like sometimes each other. Right? It's, but that's the point. Jesus says, nothing, nothing can be more dividing than sin and holiness. And I breached that. So what are your, what's your problem? And it's, it's a way to come together at the table with the person that may have hurt your feelings or a person and say, it doesn't matter. We're family. We're one. And it's supposed to be together, not individual, not alone in your closet. And in, in, in 2008, Philadelphia Phillies world champions. I know I've reminded you of that. It's been a while, but. I remember that night like it was yesterday. And here's the sad thing. 
I was all alone because my family abandoned me and went to bed. They all went to bed on the night that the Philadelphia... And they'll never do it again, not in my lifetime. It takes 100 years for us to win a championship. Everyone's in bed. I'm downstairs. Brad Lids throws strike three. Everyone goes crazy. I go out into the cul-de-sac at 11.30 at night screaming and yelling. And it was kind of empty because no one's there. So who wants a party all by themselves? Nobody. This is meant to be a party for the church together. Not just you, right? And it doesn't matter. I don't think it matters if it's a community group or your Bible study or whatever, but it's not meant to be just you. It's us. And I think that's significant. We have too much of an individualistic view of Christianity. Just me and Jesus, me and Jesus, me and Jesus. It's never just me and Jesus in the New Testament. Love one another, serve one another, care for one another, encourage one another, rebuke one another. It's the, it's, the church is not just one person. It's a body. And so we, we got to get away from that individualistic and remember that. Uh, it, is, it is about us, not just me. Second thing it reminds us of is that we are loved. Right? Jesus says, this is my body. It is for you. We come to the table often thinking, oh, look at how bad I hurt Jesus. And oh, man, the suffering of Jesus. Oh, I made it. I was so bad. It's all my fault. And, and I don't think his point is to remind you how bad it hurt to get his nails pierced. His point is, and you can read John 13 through 17. He, he talks about it often. No greater love does anyone have than he lays down his life. What is he saying when he's laying down his life? He's like, I love my church. So much so that I am going to suffer for my church. Why? Because I love you. It's not that he just wants to always us feel bad about the suffering. He wants us to remember the sacrifice that, he, that God so loved the world that he gave his son. Right? How good is it? Just when someone tells you they love you, your, your spouse, your dad, your mom, your grandparents, whatever, and they say, I love you. It's just that we all need to hear that. When you come to the table, you are being reminded God loves me. And he demonstrated his love and that while I was a sinner, Christ died for me. It's a huge reminder. It reminds us that we are clean. That your sins, past, present, and future are erased. Do we still sin? Yes. But at the cross, Jesus paid for all your sin, past, present, and future. Do we still examine ourselves and turn from our sin? Yes, because he tells us, confess your sins and I'm faithful and just to forgive. But the idea, you can have, when you come to this table, y'all, you can have assurance that your sin is 100% forgiven. Everything you've ever done, I don't care how bad it is. You're like, you don't know what I've done. I went to, I don't care. It doesn't matter how bad it was. The blood of Jesus is sufficient. It's enough. I don't care if there was, you know, adultery. I don't care if there was prison time, drugs, abortion, whatever it was. There's nothing too great that the body and blood of Christ cannot erase. And when you come, you are reminded of that. You have assurance. You can say, I know for 100% certain that my sins are forgiven. Why? Because of Christ. Because of Christ. You are clean. You are washed. You are new. You are forgiven. It's Zacchaeus, isn't it? It's the joy of Zacchaeus when he knows he's been forgiven. And it's not, well, I guess i got to give away 40% of my income to here. Oh, I'm miserable. It's, it's he's joyful because he's clean. He celebrates because he's loved. Fourth thing it reminds us of is that we have a future. What does Jesus say? 
I'm not going to celebrate this again until, until, that until is, is key, right? Until, there's, that means there's something that's coming. Paul says, as often as you drink the cup and, and eat the bread, you proclaim the Lord's death until what? He comes. So there is something in the future that when you come to this table, you are reminded this is not the end. This is the appetizer. The main course is still ahead. And that's, look, that is huge for you when life stinks. Because some of you right now, life stinks. Some think there's challenges, there's hard, some of you are on top, you know, you're, woo, everything's great. Others of you, you're, you're, you're just down, you're struggling, whatever it is. And when you come to this table, you are reminded, this is as bad as it gets. That is as good as it gets. I have a future. I have a hope because of Christ. It's a reminder we have a future. And last thing I think it reminds us of is it's a proclamation that when you come, you are reminding yourself and everybody else what you believe. As often as you drink this bread, drink this cup and eat this bread, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. It is a proclamation. Every single one of us, when you come to this table this morning, you will be proclaiming, I believe in Jesus. He is my king, he is my Lord, he is my savior, he is my sacrifice, he is alive. It is a proclamation of that, it is a celebration that I have put all my eggs in this basket. And you're telling everybody about it. That's what we are remembering. It's not us, it's not me, it's us. You are loved, you are clean, we have a future, we're proclaiming it. And here's just the last observation and then we're going to do it. Just a reminder, and I've said it before, this, this is a table for sinners. It is not a table for the worthy. If you were worthy, then you don't need a Savior. And there's only three persons in the Trinity, and you're not one of them. This is a table for sinners, and Jesus is inviting sinners to the table. He is not trying to keep you from it. Oh, you don't. First, you got to do X, Y, Z. He is inviting people saying, I want to forgive you of your sins. Believe in me. Turn from your sin and believe in me. I invite you to eat with me. I invite you to rise with me. I invite you to sit at my table and feast with me. I invite you to be loved by me forever. I invite you to be forgiven, to be new, to be clean, to wear white. I invite you to my table. Blessed are all who are invited to the table. So if you're feeling unworthy this morning, it's probably a good place. If you repent, you come and celebrate what Christ has done. We don't want to throw no turkeys. We don't want to throw no apples. We want to celebrate a simple meal designed for Christians that reminds us that we are family, that reminds us that we are loved, that reminds us we are clean, that reminds us we have a future. And we're going to proclaim it together. I mean, that's what we do. That's what Sunday we do. We proclaim Jesus as Lord. So that's what we're going to do. So here's how we're going to do it. And it's going to be a a grand mess. And I love it. All right. We're going to do what we used to do. We haven't done it in a while because it was so hard. But we're going to do it today anyway. We're going to to open the tables down front. And we're going to invite you as a follower at some point after just some time of examination and, and just worship privately. Uh, you know, confessing sin, whatever is necessary, maybe giving your wife a hug and, your, and a little hand squeeze, whatever is, is appropriate, that you, when you do that, you will come down to the table then.
and then take it back to your seat. Just, there's two, I think, the balcony, you guys have your work cut out for you because there's only two tables up there. So y'all figure it out. It'll be great. Okay. Love each other. Hug each other on the right. If you're downstairs, what we're going to ask this is if you're in these two sections, you come down the center aisle and you go back to sides. All right. Just picture a wedding and then, I don't know, whatever that is, going out. All right. But there's enough for two lines here. If you're on that section, you guys got your own table. If you're on that section, you guys got your own table. Uh, and you could probably go down and out the outside. It'll be a little chaotic, but what potluck isn't? Right? I promise you there's enough for everybody. Um, and just, just remember, when you take this, when you come down, you are purposely and saying, this is my proclamation. I am clean. I am loved. Right? I have a future. Just remember those things. It'll be meaningful. There'll be no turkeys. And it'll be awesome. And then we'll celebrate through singing. So let me pray. We'll get ready for that. Ethan, you guys come on up and lead us. Um, and we'll worship. Father, I pray as we remember your son, that as we do this in remembrance of him, that this will be a special meal that just encourages us, that reminds us of truth. Maybe we need to hear it more than anything today, that we are loved, that we've been forgiven, even in our failures, that we have a future, a hope, and we have a common faith in a common Savior. It's in Christ's name I pray.